So here's what we're going to do today is we're going to end the series, the, the end, all right? And I've enjoyed this series a lot. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely challenging in many ways. It's extremely, extremely beneficial uh, for us as well as educational. Um, I'm, I'm all about learning more of God's word. I think, you know, we must have God's word every day in our lives. Can you say amen to that one if you believe that? All right, wow. So I'm, some of you I'm not doing a good job with. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Thank you. But today we're, we are in the third and final week of this series. And we're looking at what the Bible says really about the end, the end of the world, the end of time. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some snapshots, some glimpses of the book of Revelation itself. You know, you could go on and on and on and on and on in this book. And, and uh, you know... Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not going to keep you here for the next, you know, uh, seven days in a row and you sit right there and we go through the book. Um, but I do want to challenge you this, and that is to read the book of Revelation. Um, I've said this in the other two um, messages as, as we started out, but um, understand this. You want to live a blessed life, and I'm not talking about just prosperity and, and things, all right? I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking within your relationships. I mean, those are the most important things within our life, our spiritual relationship with God and what? Our human relationships. When those two are moving great, especially the spiritual relationship with God, when that one's moving great, everything else seems to fall right into place, does it not? But the Bible tells us if you want to live a blessed life, read the book of Revelation, all right? I'm telling you, it's a great book. It's fascinating. And today you're going to get a little bit, some tidbits of information on that. But so many people, when they think about trying to read this book, uh, let's, just, let's just say it how it is. Sometimes it can get confusing. There's a lot of symbolism and, and there's a lot of different, uh, the way things are presented that, that in some aspects can, can actually cause people to be a little bit confused. Um, the problem is, is simply we just don't know how to read it because the very beginning in Revelation 1, it tells us, like I just said, that if we would read it, that we can live what is considered a blessed life. And not only read it, but watch this, even hearing this message, even hearing Revelation will bring about a blessed life in your life. So if you know how to read it, it won't make you afraid of it, you know. Um, so what I'm challenged to do is to build your faith through it. Because God gives us revelation of Jesus Christ through this great book. Verse 1 in chapter 1 you know, God is showing us as to what is going to come for us. And as a follower of Jesus, we should be excited about God and the book of Revelation. We should be excited about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. You know, we do know this, that in the early church, they were so excited about the return of Jesus that what did they do? They greeted each other with one word, Maranatha. The one word, and, and that mean, that, the meaning of that is Jesus is coming. I'm excited that Jesus is coming again. I'm excited that one day I'll be in my eternal home as a follower of Christ. Where? With Jesus. With God. Where are we going to be? In that new heaven and in that new earth. Amen. Can somebody else just be a little bit excited about that, right? You're, we're, we're, no more tears. No more pain, right? No more sickness. No more going to work. No more kids acting up. Woo! Right? 
No more arguments with your spouse. Watch this. No more weight gain. At least I don't think there's weight gain. I don't know. You know? I threw that one in there just to be a crowd pleaser. But... You know, the book of Revelation is written by John, who was the last living of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. Um, it's really interesting because if you know about what happened to the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus, um, you know what Jesus, Judas, the one who portrayed Jesus, he ended up taking his own life. The other 10 besides John actually died a martyr's death. And it's really interesting to think about the 10 originals um, of the 12 disciples were actually willing to die for their faith. Willing to give it up because they were so sure of who Jesus was and that Jesus rose again or rose from the dead. And so while there was one guy left and his name was John, I'm giving you a little bit of history here before we dig deep. It was about 62 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus, the year was 95 AD, and John was living in an empire or under an emperor who, who was pretty much saying this, look, I want all of you to worship me as the Lord and God. You know, talk about some pressure. I mean, he already knows what has happened to the other 10 by not conforming to society. We can learn a lot from those 10 by not conforming to society. What I don't want us as a church to do is ever to conform to, to society. I never want us as the believers or the body of Christ to, be, to get to the point where when people see society versus the church that they do not see a difference. We understand that we are called to be something and that is to be holy. Now that word is overdefined because we make it extremely difficult to live what is what we have defined as a holy life, but simply holy really just means this, be different. For us to stand out as the church and to be different. And so John was being different. The rest were all bowing down to this emperor, but John was not. He knew who his Lord and God was. And so John pretty much saying this, I've seen the Lord and guess what? He's not you. And so I'm not worshiping you. And so John was exiled to the, Isle, to the Isle of Patmos. And he was in the cave that they say that you can actually visit today. I've never had the opportunity to go to Israel. I hope one day to go there. It would be great. But when the angel of the Lord visited John, he gave him the vision of what we have as the book of Revelation. And it is considered the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you've ever read chapters 2 and 3 we'll see that there's actually letters from Jesus in this to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the book of Revelation was initially written as letters strictly to these seven churches. But what I want to do today is I want us to do our best, I'm going to do my best, to break down five specific sections that I think should be very encouraging for us for you to hear, as well as for you to get into your own study with this great book. And we're going to look at Jesus, who Jesus is in each of these sections, because we need to understand what this book is all about, and that is Jesus himself. All right? So the first section that we're going to take a look at, and the first thing we're going to understand, that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Right? That's, that's the theme of the first 
three sections uh, and, and really the, the overall idea of them. We know this, that what Jesus is returning soon. You know, we could look in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, and you have that there. <clears throat> You'll have it here on the screens, but you have your, your outline there. But it says that John has his vision. This is what he says. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Now, th- now, understand this. This is not the first return of Jesus that we really looked at in week one. Jesus, in that first return, never truly plants his feet onto the ground. But what does he do? What does he do? He's calling the church to him. Because remember, he says he comes like a thief in the night, if you recall that. And those who, le- who are left behind really are not going to understand what has happened in that first moment. But in this one, the Bible completely tells us, and we understand that what the Bible is the truth, amen? It is specifically, it is accurate in all accounts. And we see here where the scripture says that every eye will see him. It goes on to say, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will, will mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen. Verse eight, it goes on to say, Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. What? The Almighty. He says, I am the Alpha, the Omega. Look, it all starts with me, and it all ends with me. I am from A to Z. I am every single thing. Who is Jesus to you in your life? He's your Savior. Who is Jesus? He's your healer. He's your sanctifier. He's your deliverer. Watch this. Who is Jesus? He's your comforter. Watch this. Who is Jesus? He also is a voice of opposition. We need that voice, do we not? We need to be challenged, do we not? You need to know when you are moving in the right spirit, and you also need to know when you're moving in your own spirit. You need to know who Jesus is. Jesus is all things. Jesus is everything. You look at everything in this world and it is because of Jesus Christ. All the blessings that are within your life are because of Jesus Christ. Every door opened, you need to recognize it as being of Jesus Christ. Every door closed, be thankful more. What? For the doors that are closed and the doors that are open. Because the doors that are closed keeps us in the will of Jesus Christ and out of our own decision-making. I love Jesus. Amen? He's my everything. He's my Savior. He's my soon-coming King. February the 6th, 1997, changed my life forever. Who was Jesus to you? Can you reflect on what he's done in your life? It should overcome you emotionally. It should overcome you spiritually. Those things that you've been longing and seeking after God over. Listen to this. He hears your prayer. May not always answer the way we want though, all right? Verse 14. But he always answers the way you need. His head and hair were like were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in the furnace. 
can't wait to see that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a little emotional about this. I was not planning that. His voice was like the sounding of rushing waters. In his right hand, the Bible says what? He held, he holds the seven stars. How does he hold these within his hand? When you read through Revelations, don't you, you, you got to understand a lot of it's symbolism. You don't take everything literally for what it's saying. But simply this, they're actually, those seven stars representing the angels of those seven churches that is being written about in chapters 2 and 3. And he goes on to say, and I love this, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. What is coming out? The word. His spoken word. His written word. Why do you think I am so sold out on you guys staying diligent in your spiritual discipline of reading God's word? There's not a message that doesn't go by that I don't say, how are you doing in it? Are you in it? Are you allowing the word of God to be a part of your life? Because we know that the word that's coming out is that double-edged sword and it pierces all sin. It pierces everything that the enemy is trying to bring against you and your family. We can speak it in our lives, speak the word of God over us. Goes on to say his face was like the sun shining in what? All brilliance. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, this is really interesting because we can understand this because John had a really special relationship with Jesus. Now, we understand he was part of the 12. We understand that, that uh, apparently he was the one that was used to, to, to write this, this great book of Revelation that we have. But John was the beloved. He was that friend. We see the 12 and, 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 you know, Jesus labels Peter as the rock, right? For the church. He's got a great friendship there. You know, he's, he's, got, he's got relational friendships. You know, James. He's got uh, the others that are, you know, Thomas, of course, that's his criticizer, you know. You got, you got to have one, right? Yeah. But here we understand that John's the beloved. There's a special relationship there. Well, you read in the scriptures in those gospels and you can see it there where, where John and Jesus, man, they, they had a connection. They had that best friend connection. And, and I'm sure that friendship for, for John was just like when, when Jesus was here on earth. Hey, man, what's going on? Having that moment. Because you got to understand, Jesus was a relational. He was, he was human as well, right? And we need that. I, I'm sure he even... I, I, which I can't understand why anybody would do it, but we do it all the time anyway, but he even probably challenged him sometimes. But in this moment, we see, what did he do? He fell at his feet. There was a, comp- a complete moment of reverence here. We looked at last week some of the crowns that we're going to receive. And what are we going to do with those? We're not going to, you know, pull a wagon around collecting crowns and going, hey, look what I got and look what you don't have. We understand that the 24 elders, what did they do in, in this great book of Revelations? Read the book. It gives you a blessed life. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you on that one. But it says that they, what, they take their crown and they bow before him and they lay him at his feet. I can't wait for that day when I can take those crowns and be able to lay them at his feet. You know, one of the greatest things about it is the Bible tells us that there's an easy one that we can all be guaranteed to receive. And that is get excited that Jesus is coming. 
You get a crown for that. Those who are eagerly awaiting Jesus. Being excited, not going, oh, I want to get married first. Oh, I want to graduate high school first. Oh, I want to get a job that I like first. Oh, I want, my, I want to see my kids grow up. That's great. But you know what? What's even better? I want to get to Jesus. Be eager about it. Be excited. It says, when I saw him, I fell <clears throat> at his feet as though dead. And then it goes on to say, then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys where of death and Hades. So if you see Jesus in Revelation, it should build our faith. Section 1 shows us what? That he is the Alpha, that he's the Omega, that he's the soon-returning King. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Gosh, it's amazing. Secondly, who is Jesus in the... Chapters 4 through 5, we understand that Jesus is, number 2, the Lamb of God. 28 times in Scripture and Revelations, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. What is that main theme of this being, you know, Jesus, Lamb of God, is worthy to what? Open the scrolls. I don't understand that. How? I don't get that. How is he going to open these scrolls? Watch this. Chapter 4 and chapter 5, you will see that God is on the throne. And in his hand, he holds this giant scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And this scroll is kind of like a last will and testament. It's kind of like the declaration of all that is to come and that all that is to happen on the earth. And John is like this. I would be this way too, probably. I want to see what's on that. I'm going to see what's on that scroll. And the angel looks at him and says, well, who is worthy to open the scroll? I'm just paraphrasing here. Everyone's looking around, and they can't find anyone. And John, I could imagine in that moment, probably panics, maybe even gets emotional through it, because there's no one there who is worthy to open that scroll. But suddenly, he sees a lamb. We read that in chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Remember, Jesus was slain for us, was he not? For what? The forgiveness of your sin. Nailed to that cross for you. In that moment, you are his favorite. In every moment, you are Jesus' favorite. His thoughts revolved around you. Why? Because he loves you. Knowing everything that he was going to go through, he still went through it. Knowing the pain, the ridicule, knowing the garbage that he was going to have to take. But yet he still did it for you. Standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. And watch this, here's the gospel. Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we understand that what Jesus is the Lamb of God. You know, I, I might say, well, we don't understand that imagery. Jesus, you know, I, I don't get that. Well, if you remember with John the Baptist, he had made mention that, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
When he laid his eyes upon him, that's what he said. So we understand who Jesus is as a lamb. Now we can reference all of this right back to the Old Testament, where we understand that what, when they came before the priest, they brought as a covering of sin, not for washing sin, but as a covering for sin, they had to bring a lamb without spot or blemish. I'm thankful that Jesus stepped in and took care of that issue and began to forgive us of our sin, washing us white as snow, cleansing us mentally, cleansing us spiritually, cleansing us all the filth of sin that we have allowed to corrupt our bodies and to corrupt our minds. So to me, it's incredibly amazing who Jesus is as being the Lamb of God. We understand that he's the Alpha and the Omega. We understand that he's the Lamb of God, but then when we look in chapters 6 through 18, that's a real big range, I get it. But we understand this, number three, that Jesus is the righteous judge. Now, that is the, the main uh, theme of all of that. And I've got a couple bonus thoughts here for you. They're not in your, your notes. So if you want to jot them down, you can. You have to be quick about it, though. But if you're interested, we can take a look here through those scriptures um, really fast here. But we understand that the Antichrist, is mentioned in Revelations 13, uh, 13 and 14, and, and, and actually also in, in chapters 16. We, he's not specifically mentioned as the Antichrist. Um, that's just a, a, you know, another way of, of understanding. He's actually mentioned as what? The beast. And if you read it carefully, you'll, you'll see there in this section of scriptures that there's a, wo- a woman who gives birth to the beast. And some of you ladies, have, you, could, you could probably say, well, I've done that a couple times. That, see, I thought that was funny. All right. Apparently you did. But if you continue to read Revelations and 13, verses 3 and 4, the Antichrist, we understand, is killed. And then he's raised to life. This is some interesting stuff. The, the Bible is not boring. All right. But we see there that the, the Antichrist is, is killed and he's raised to life. You can also see in Revelation chapter 11 about the two witnesses, which is so amazing to me, that a God appoints to perform miracles and preach the gospel. We know that they're going to be killed and then also raised to life. That is, that is an, an awesome time. We, there's, there's prophecies there that are spoken that the, the heavens will be shut up on their command. There will be no rain. They can issue any kind of plague that they want at any time all over the earth. If someone wants to, to kill the two witnesses, they, they have a really cool trick of defending themselves. And it's, you know, read it for yourselves. You'll see it in there. It's pretty interesting. Um, so there's a lot of really fun things for us as followers, believers to read at and go, that's really interesting. That's, that's really some cool things. Uh, Revelation 17, looking at verses 12 and 13 as well as Daniel chapter 7 and 24, many people interpret this as the Antichrist uh, being raised up to a really assassinate world leaders and move toward a one-world government. Because somebody say the Bible's got some interesting stuff, doesn't it not? Um, Revelation 16 through 19, we understand that there, uh, 
the beast is risen up and the Antichrist is defeated at the battle of Armageddon. And then as you read uh, 6 through 18, we need to remember that Jesus is a righteous judge. And we're going to look at these, these three judgments that he's a part of. And the first one is the seal judgments. And that is where you'll read about four writers of the apocalypse. You'll see the moon turns to blood red. You'll see that uh, the blood shed from war um, and about a quarter of the world's population will die from famine, from plagues, from wild beasts. You're going to see another judgment, uh, the, the trumpet judgments. Uh, and and what, what does that consist of? There'll be hail and fire mixed with blood falling from the sky. You guys are going to say, Pastor, my gosh, this is not like you to talk about all this stuff. It's in the Bible. It says you'll see poisonous locusts. A third of the vegetation is going to be destroyed. A third of the water would be contaminated. A third of the sea creatures will die. A third of the light is lost. A third of the world dies. Look, this is some serious stuff. This is a really bad time. Then you have what is called the bold judgments where sores will appear on people with the mark of the beast. Water turns blood and everything in it will die. Sun scorches people. Devastating earthquakes hit. Huge hail falls from the sky. You think, wow, that's, that's kind of cruel. A God who loves mankind, that's, that's kind of wrong, isn't it? Do I need to remind you of what's wrong? Do I need to remind you from last week what is cruel? You know what is cruel? Cruel is a man who died on a cross for your sins. Do you know what bothers me the most? That even to the sinner he thought about. Not just you. And so many will not come to a relationship with him. But yet this man gave his life up for them. That's what's cruel. That is what is not right. What I love about the scriptures from Genesis through Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to continue to do throughout humanity. It's about salvation. It's about love. It's about sacrifice. Watch this. It's about you and your eternal existence. Mm. Revelation 16.5 says this, Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say this, You are just in these judgments. Sinners say, oh, that's not fair. No, it is. The Bible says so. He says, what? You are just in these judgments, and you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. In other words, what is that saying? Jesus, you have all authority to do anything that you want to do. So who is Jesus in Revelation? The Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. He's the righteous judge in our fourth section. Chapters 19 and 20. Who is Jesus? He is the King of Kings. What does Jesus do in this moment? He returns with his church. Revelation chapter 19 and 11 John says this because he had a vision. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. You ever, 
it's, it's like even in the movies, all the, back in the day, back in the day, right? The good guys always rode in on the white horse, right? It says, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. Verse 12. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on them and no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is what? The word of God. Amen. Do you remember uh, what John 1, 1, we understand this, what in the beginning, right? Was the word. The word was what? With God. And the word was God. Verse 14 goes on to say, and the word became flesh. That is who? Jesus. Going on, the armies, continues to say in verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse, horses and dressed fine linen, white and clean. Again, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Who is he? He's the king of kings. Who is he? He's the Lord of lords. No one can vote him in. There's no televised trial in front of millions to see whether or not he's worthy of the position. He's the definition of approval, is he not? It's not up to man's consideration or determination. Jesus simply is. Now, when you read Revelation and you see who Jesus is, it should build our faith. Who is he? He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's, who is he? He's the Lamb of God. Who is he? He's the righteous judge because he can. You like that? Because he can. A little confidence there in Jesus, right? Who is he? He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And then number five, Jesus is the bridegroom. Who are we? We are his bride. The Bible teaches us this principle that Jesus takes us, the church, his bride, to the heavenly city. Revelation chapter 21, 9. One of the seven angels who had seen the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride. Who is the bride? That is the church. We are part of this. We are the wife of the Lamb. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, understanding this, this is the, the new heaven and the new earth that we read about last week. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's coming back for his bride and takes us to this new heaven and new earth where I love it because there's no crying, no pain. In fact, the earth doesn't even mention of what a sun or a moon. Because verse 23 says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamb. And what is the king saying today? What is God trying to tell us? What is he saying 
at the end of the book of the Revelation. Well, it's the same thing that he said through Genesis all the way through Revelation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. I love this in 22:17. And let him who hears say, come. I love, watch this, watch this. This is so awesome right here. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes. Why do I like that part right there, whoever wishes? Because there's no prerequisite to come to Jesus. There's nothing that you have to do before you have the right to come to Jesus. He simply says this, if you're thirsty for me, come. If it's your desire to, to be a part of this church, not speaking of this, but I'm talking about the body of Christ. He says, come. Jesus doesn't care about your reputation. I mean, he does afterwards because then he's going to fix it. He's going to start changing some things in your life that you've not liked about your life for quite some time. He's going to help you get rid of some habits, some things that have not been appropriate. He's going to increase that desire inside of you to what? Go after the things of God and to run away from the things of this world. I love the scripture tells us that the will of God for you is to be holy. I mean, it's so easy. And that just means to be different. Be different from your friends. Be different from society. Be different from what this world sees. So many people were so glued this week I'm not going to get into it, but we're so glued to a specific thing. And it's almost trying to split our country in, in, a, in, a, in a, more than what it already has been. Man, we're the body of Christ. We are united through one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. We're united through the blood. We're united through that flesh that was pierced. We're united because of his crown of thorns that were placed on his head. Reunited because he carried his cross. Watch this. Carried your cross. The weight of your sin on his shoulder. He done, he's, he's done so much. He says what? Those who are thirsty, just come. You want to be a part of this bride? All you got to do is accept me. It's not hard. I'm not making this difficult. There's no real formula to it other than just say, hey, I want to be a part of it, Lord. I want you to begin to work in me and change me, mold me into what your will is for my life. Hmm. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I want you to stand with me this morning. There are some of you in this room that you've sat here for the last two weeks and you've heard this message on the end time, the end rather, and you're spiritually parched. What am I saying by that? You're thirsting for more of God. You're thirsting for that relationship with God, with Jesus more importantly, but you've just not done it yet. Why? 
why are you why are you being stubborn? Why are you holding back? I'm not here to beat anybody up, but there's a free gift that's been given to you. And this is what this entire message, this entire series. It's not necessarily about the Christ follower being encouraged and getting your blessings and all this stuff. It's really meant to bring the lost to salvation. Knowing what Jesus has done, but yet we still fight it. I just don't get that. Actually, yeah, I kind of do. We're human. We think we got time. I've been there. You know, you, many of you have been there. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you are right there. And you felt the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. You have felt God opening in a door. Many of you even felt this. I remember that night, February the 6th, 1997, when I was leaving that building and I didn't give my life to Jesus yet. It was a big youth event. I love it. And in November, I get to go back to the town and, and I'm going to make sure that I pull in. But I remember standing there ready to walk out of that door that that evening. Look, it could have been me just dreaming this up or thinking it up, but regardless, I said it was the voice of God in my life. And it came over me and said, this is your last opportunity. This is it right here. If you don't do it, and that's all I could think of. And I turned right around and I walked down that aisle. And you, many of you know the rest of that story. I'm not going to get into that. And, you know, I do a prayer whenever I ask for those of you who would like to have salvation in your life and you raise your hand and we do a corporate prayer together. But I remember that, that evening and the only words that could come out of my mouth was Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says that at that very mention of that word, demons flee. Not because they want to, because they have to. This isn't hard. I got another scripture now. I'm done with the message. But I want every eye bowed, every eye closed this morning. And I just want you to reflect on you. And this is all that's going to happen. I want you to reflect on you for a moment. Have you been feeling that tug? I'm not here to embarrass nobody. I'm just here to save. I want you to be saved. Jesus is here to save. I want to make sure you don't miss an opportunity. Because look, 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 God's been knocking for some time. The Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart. He's been pulling those emotional strings. He's been challenging you. And you've been ignoring for a long time. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to say that word Jesus that I said it changed my eternal existence and it's changed so many others in this room if you want to give your heart, your life to Jesus Christ today I want you to slip up your hand I see that hand I see that one and that one I see that one see that one see that one
that's you today, this is your last opportunity that I'm going to give. If that's you today, slip up your hand. I see that one. Let's pray this prayer together as a church with confidence and bold. Jesus, today, I choose to serve you. I ask you, Lord, to be my Savior, my Master, be my King, and be my Lord. From this day forward, I will live for you. Help me, Lord, to live according to your scriptures and your will, your plan for my life. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me and making me whole. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Revelation 22, 20, I, I got to read it because I love it. He says, he who testifies to these, to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. So, Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Father, take the, the tithings, giftings, offerings to you to grow your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you. Have a good day.